ago since it happened, but it stuck with me all these years, a black man stopped me in the hall of a hospital. I was going there to make a, a visit, pastoral visit, and he stopped me and asked me if I was a preacher. 
And I'm just curious, do we preachers have a certain look about us or something? Because some of you would say, I think state troopers look alike, but I didn't realize that uh, preachers do. But he stopped me in the hall and he asked if I was a preacher. And I told him that I was, and I was kind of curious about him. So I asked him, I said, well, well who are you, you know? And uh, i never forget what he said. Here's what he said. I'm nobody telling everybody about somebody who can save anybody. I'm nobody telling everybody about somebody who can save anybody. Let me ask you today, in the world's eyes, are you a nobody? In the world's eyes, are you a nobody? If you are, good. I'm a nobody too. Did you know that God loves to use nobodies? God loves to use those who are unknown. God loves to use nobodies. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 has this to say, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things that are mighty. And the base things of the world, the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. Why? That no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us the wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Now, this morning, we're back with our man Gideon. The young people just sang about Gideon, and it fits right in with our message today. And we're in Judges chapter 6. If you haven't found that, I invite you to find that. Judges chapter 6. We're going to talk today about a nobody named Gideon. A nobody named Gideon. You say, wait a minute, preacher. Gideon wasn't a nobody. He was a somebody. I mean, let's be honest about it. He's in the Faith Hall of Fame in Hebrews 11. Gideon is a somebody. Well, listen. Before he was a somebody, he was a nobody. Before he made it to the Faith Hall of Fame, we find here him here in Judges chapter 6. You know, as you're finding the book of Judges, John Phillips made some interesting observations about the book of Judges. He says it's interesting to observe how frequently during the days of Judges, God used people and things of no account, humanly speaking. Othniel was a younger brother. Ehud was a left-handed man. Barak had to be urged to be a man by Deborah. Gideon went to war with a lamp and a pitcher. Shamgar had an ox goad, Jephthah was an outlaw, and Samson used the jawbone of an ass. Now think about that for a moment. God delights to use things the world despises. God delights to use people that the world considered to be nobody. The great missionary Hudson Taylor was right. He said this, all of God's great men have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned on His being with them. They counted on His, that is God's faithfulness. All of God's great men have been weak men who counted on God. And that's how they did great things for God. God loves to use the nobodies of this world. And we're going to learn some lessons here from the life of Gideon this morning. If you want to jot these down, three main things we're going to learn together. Number one, we need to recognize where we are in life. We need to recognize where we are in life. Now, when we first meet Gideon, he is not up on a mountain. And he's not out in the field. He's not even in his house. 
When we first meet him, he's down in a wine press. Somebody said we could even change the spelling, it would be correct, and spell it instead of W-I-N-E, spell it W-H-I-N-E, the wine press. I want you to look at Judges 6, 11 and see where we find Gideon here. Now the angel of the Lord came and said unto the terabith tree, which was in opera, which belonged to Joash, the Abzerite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the wine press in order to hide it from the Midianites. We find Gideon in the Bible the very first time. He's fearfully trying to get a little grain threshed out to sustain him and his family. His world, as we learned if you were here last week, was filled with uh, regression. The people of Israel had gone back into sin. It was filled with oppression. They were being oppressed by the Midianites for seven long years. And it was filled with depression. We know that Gideon is walking in, in fear and walking by sight rather than by faith. Uh, he, we saw in verse 13 that his theology was wrong. He says in verse 13, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. He looked around and he saw oppression. He looked to God and he, he felt forsaken. He looked at himself and he felt defeated. In fact, look at what he says about himself in verse 15 of Judges 6. So he said to him, O oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. He says, Lord, I'm a nobody. I'm a nobody. Now, what about you? What excuses do you allow to stand in your way of becoming all that God wants you to become? What is it that you use to hold you back? It's interesting to note that Gideon focused on only the negatives here. You know, if we read this passage, it doesn't seem that Gideon was poor. Look at verse 19. It says, Gideon went in, prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from an ephah of flour. The meat he put in a basket and he put his broth in a pot. He brought them out to him under the terebinth tree and presented them. That's quite an offering in a time of such oppression and depression. When he's trying to thresh out a little bit of wheat, he brings this lavish offering to the Lord. In fact, look at verse 27. It says, so Gideon took ten men from among his servants. How many of you have ten servants at home? Anybody here? So we don't believe that Gideon was a poor man. But when he talks about himself, he only focuses upon the negatives. Look, Lord, I'm I'm a nobody. I'm the least of my father's house and my father's clan. They're the least. Instead of counting his blessings, he was multiplying his sorrows. Instead of focusing on what he had going for him, he spent all his time looking at what was going against him. And we do the same, don't we? We do the same. God blesses us and blesses us and blesses us. And what do we do? We sit around and we think about all the stuff we don't have. We moan and groan about everything we wish we could have and wish we could be and wish we could possess instead of praising God. We focus on our burdens and our problems rather than our blessings and our praises to him. Now, what Gideon said about himself and his clan may have been true. But he was letting that stand in the way of becoming all that God wanted him to become. Listen, I know you have problems. I have problems, too. We could spend all afternoon talking about our problems. We could get together after church today and go down to the restaurant and we could sit down and we could moan and groan together. 
We could wash our sorrows in some good Mexican food and just have a wonderful time being miserable together. We're not going to do that. We have to be careful not to let those things stand in the way of becoming all that God wants us to become. We need to recognize where we are in life. But listen, don't stop there. We need to recognize where we could be in life. We need to recognize where we could be in life. Now, we believe the angel of the Lord that was sitting under that terrible tree. That was none other than the Lord Jesus Christ, the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus here is talking with Gideon. And I don't believe Gideon knew who he was at first. In fact, I don't believe to get down to verse 22, does he understand? Verse 22 says, now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, alas, O Lord God, for I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. I don't think until he got down to that far did he realize just who he was talking to. But I believe this is the Lord Jesus here, the messenger of the Lord, the pre-incarnate Christ. And when he finds Gideon, he finds him down in the wine press and he's whining down in the wine press. But you know what? The Lord doesn't mention it. I want you to notice what the Lord Jesus says to Gideon in this passage. Look at verse 12. Now, he's just he's he's there with Gideon in the wine press. Verse 12, the Lord says this. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Now, drop down again, verse 14. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent you? Now, drop down again to verse 16. And the Lord said to him, surely I will be with you and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Now, let me ask you a question. Do these words describe the Gideon we find in verse 11 here? Does this describe the man who's hiding down in the wine press trying to thresh out some wheat? Is he a mighty man of valor? Is he going in the might of his? Is he going to defeat the Midianites as one man? No wonder Gideon thought, are you talking to me? Lord, you've got the wrong address. You're under the wrong terabith tree. You're looking for somebody else. You're not talking to me. I'm just a nobody named Gideon. I'm just hoping to survive this oppression, this depression. I'm just hoping to beat out a little more grain so I can live. No, Gideon, you're a mighty man of valor. Now, how in the world could the Lord say that about him? Well, as one author said, Gary Enrich said, I want you to hear this. Hear clearly. One of the great truths of Scripture is that when God looks at us, listen, He does not see us for what we are, but for what we can become as He works in our life. Let me say that again real slow. One of the great truths of Scripture, when God looks at us, He does not see us for what we are. Down in the wine press, down whining, defeated, depressed, oppressed. He does not see us for who we are. But for what we can become as he works in our lives. Listen, believer, God is not through with you. Listen, if you're getting tired of me, listen, God's not done with me. Don't give up on me yet. I'm a work in progress here. Salvation is just the starting point. Redemption. And then we begin to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to these verses, Ephesians 2, 8 and 10. 
8 through 10. For by grace you've been saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, as anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God hath prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're his workmanship. Listen to Romans 8, 28 and 29. We often use 28 and what a blessed promise it is, but don't stop there. Romans 8, 28 and 29. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. To those who are called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Listen, God is working in you, Christian, to make you like the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's not done yet. All we see, if we're honest about it, we're like Gideon. All we see is our past and our present realities. We look around us, we look behind us. Listen, God sees the future. God sees the completed whole. God sees you not for what you are, but what he's going to make of you. What he's working in your life to accomplish. All Gideon could see was regression and oppression and depression. God saw Gideon, the mighty man of valor, who was going to deliver the children of Israel from this oppression. We need to stop looking at where we are in our lives and start looking at what, where we could be in our lives. Look at our church this morning. We're just a country church. And not only that, we're a country church in one of the poorest counties in North Carolina. Most people on the face of the earth have no idea that we even exist. They have no idea we're even on the map. Because some maps, we don't even make it, do we? But God does. God knows where we are. God knows who we are. We belong to Him. This is His church. We need to get our eyes off of ourselves and our surroundings and our depression and our oppression and our regression and everything else in our lives. Get our eyes off of that and get our eyes upon our God and keep them there. We need to recognize this morning where we are in life, but we don't stop there. We need to recognize where we could be in life, which brings us to our third lesson. And that is we need to recognize who makes the real difference in our lives. We need to recognize who makes the real difference in our lives. I want you to look again what the Lord said to Gideon in those verses. And I want you to look at them very carefully. Look at verse 12. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you. You mighty man of valor. Look at verse 14. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? Look at verse 16. The Lord said to him, surely I will be with you and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Did you catch the difference as I read those? Gideon, you're going to be a mighty man of valor because I'm with you. You're going to defeat the Midianites because I'm sending you. Gideon, it's not your strength, it's not your power, it's not your person. Gideon, it's me who makes the difference in your life. We need to recognize who makes the real difference in our life. The Lord was with Gideon. You know, we studied Joseph a long time ago now. The Lord was with Joseph. That's what made the difference. 
The Lord is going to be with Gideon. It's with Gideon. That's what's going to make the difference. You say, well, yeah, but they're Bible saints and they're heroes of the faith. Let me, let me give you another set of verses. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. You might recognize them. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. We know that it's the Great Commission. It's our mission. It's what we're here to do. But did you remember the last part of it? He says this, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. You see, it's the Lord's presence in our life, in our church, in our family that makes the real difference. Yes, we're a country church. Yes, we're in a depressed county, but we serve a mighty God. And what does God want to do with a bunch of nobodies like us? He wants to glorify himself. He wants to glorify himself in us and through us. Listen, God is enough, period. God is enough. We need to get our focus off of us and on him. I pray that he would so shake this place mightily in our community. Not so people can say, oh, look at that church or look at those people. But that people might say, look at their God. What's going on there is not the hand of man, it's the hand of God. They might look at us and say, listen, they serve an awesome God. And furthermore, they might say, you know what? I want what they have. I want the Savior they serve. I want the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it's not about us. It's about him. He's the one that makes the difference. He makes the difference in us as a church. He makes the difference in us as a body of believers. He makes the difference in us as individuals. Let me ask you something. What does God want to do in your life? What does God want to accomplish in your life? You say, well, well preacher, I, I'm just a nobody from nowhere. I mean, God could use me. Hello? Where have you been the last 10 or 15 minutes? You sound like Gideon. If you're nobody from nowhere, you're the perfect person God can use. You know why? Because they get all the honor and all the glory. He'll get all the honor and all the glory. First of all, you must know him through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I wonder today, do you know him? You say, well, I've been coming to church many years. That's not what I ask you. You say, well, I've been baptized. That's not what I ask you. You say, I'm a Baptist. That's not what I ask you. I ask you, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your savior? Has there been a time in your life where you have... Recognize you're a sinner and you're lost and undone and you've come by grace through faith and placed your faith completely and totally upon the Lord Jesus Christ. You've repented of your sin and turned to Christ and you have a life this morning. So I'm a member of the church. It's not what I ask you. You know, one of the saddest things to think about is hell's going to be filled with church members. People who trusted in their church membership or their good works. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have I not done this in your name and that in your name? And I've served you in so many ways. And the Lord will say, look at them and say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Do you know the Lord Jesus today? If you don't, what's going to stand in your way today? You say, well, I'd be embarrassed. Better to be embarrassed than burn in hell. You say, well, people might look at me strange. Better be looked at strange than burning hell. You say, well, I'm a Sunday school teacher. 
I'm a deacon. I'm a, I'm a choir member. I'm, I'm this and that. And I've done all these things. Listen, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? If not, may I invite you today. He's holding an L-pierced hand out to you saying, Come to me, all you that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I'll give you new life. I'll give you a home in heaven. I'll make you an heir and a joint heir with the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll let you spend eternity with me. I'm preparing a place for you. You'll live in all eternity with me if you'll turn from your sin to me. Friend, if you've never done that today, I want to invite you to do it today. It doesn't matter who you are, how long you've been here, whatever. If you don't know Jesus Christ, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to trust the Lord Jesus. Now, if you know him today, what does he want to do in and through your life? You know, we have to abide in him. We've started a new Bible study on Wednesday nights. I invite you to come. John 15, the vine and the branches. We have to abide in him. John 15, 45 says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do, somebody remember, nothing. Not some things, not many things, not one thing. You can do nothing. You see, it's in the Lord Jesus where we get our strength. And our sustenance and our security. We're to walk a spirit-filled life of obedience. We walk fully surrendered to His Word and His will in our lives. That's the person God can really use for His honor and His glory. Someone who's sold out to the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, preacher, I'm just a nobody from nowhere. Great. God wants to use you. How many of you ever heard of a Sunday school teacher named Mr. Kimball? Raise your hand high. One. Well, let me tell you about a Sunday school teacher named Mr. Kimball. Joe Stoll tells about this Sunday school teacher. He's from Boston named Edward Kimball. And he says that Ed decided to visit a young man who was in his class to see if this young man truly was born again and knew the Lord Jesus Christ. And he went that day to this young man and talked with him. And that day he led a young man to the Lord. And that young man's name was D.L. Moody. You've ever heard of D.L. Moody? All right. Well, D.L. Moody, one of my heroes of the faith, church history. I love D.L. Moody. He, he became a great evangelist and a man of God. And he had a major impact in many areas. And he had an impact upon a man by the name of Wilbur Chapman. We're just doing the church history here. You've ever heard of Wilbur Chapman? Not as many as D.L. Moody. Well, well, Chapman was a prominent evangelist, and he recruited another man by the name of Billy Sunday. How many have heard of Billy Sunday? All right. Well, Billy Sunday was also an evangelist. And Billy Sunday launched a, a national ministry that had great results in cities like our own Charlotte, North Carolina. And an organization that started as a result of Sunday's revival invited an evangelist by the name of Mordecai Ham. To Charlotte, North Carolina. Have you ever heard of Mordecai Ham? A few of you. Well, he held that meeting in Charlotte. And one of those meetings, a young man got saved. That young man's name was Billy Graham. How many have heard of Billy Graham? Joe Stoll concluded by saying, when you think you don't have much to offer, 
Remember Sunday school teacher Edward Kimball, who spent a Saturday afternoon reaching out to someone he was concerned about, someone he was burdened about, and led him to Christ. And we're seeing the results of that to this day. Listen, you think Edward Kimball is going to be rewarded in heaven for that? You better bet your bottom dollar he will. Because as a result of his faithfulness, we saw D.L. Moody get saved. We saw a major impact on Wilbur Chapman. We saw Chapman impacting Billy Sunday. We saw Billy Sunday starting work with Mordecai Ham comes. And then we see the work of Billy Graham. And Joe Stoll said, God has a special way of using routine faithfulness in the small things to accomplish great things. God used Ed Kimball. God used Gideon, and we're just beginning to dig into his life and his story. But here's what I want you to realize today. God wants to use your life, and God wants to use your life. God wants to use my life. God wants to use our church. God wants to glorify himself in this place and make himself known. Now, here's the question. Will we surrender our lives and allow him to use us? Will we surrender? Will we say, Lord, listen, I'm just a nobody from nowhere. But listen, I give you my life. I give you my all. Use me for your glory. How is he going to use us? I don't quite know. But however he uses us, you know what? It'll be perfect. It'll be perfect. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God... If you present your bodies a living sacrifice, a living sacrifice, and it goes on to say why, you may prove what is that perfect and acceptable will of God. Will you do that today? Let's pray. Father, it is with grateful hearts that we bow and we praise you for using men like Gideon and Ed Kimball and D.L. Moody and Billy Sunday and Mordecai Ham. Wilbur Chapman and Billy Graham and Lord, I think about those who had impacted my life. Those saints of God that nobody else really knows, but they impacted my life. I know every Christian here today could look back in their life and trace your hand upon the hand of somebody else who led them to the Lord. Father, we want the same in our lives. We surrender today afresh and anew, saying, Lord, here we are. Use us. Shake this place for your glory. Make yourself known, not for our glory, but your glory. Now, Father, I pray as we close the service today, if anyone here does not know Christ, I pray, Lord, that during this invitation, they'll come to saving faith in him. And I pray, Lord, if there's a believer today who might need to come and lay their lives before you afresh and anew, they do that as we sing. And we pray these things in the loving name of Jesus. Amen and amen. The altar is open this morning. Our closing hymn is 294. He be saved today. I want to invite you to come. If you're already saved, you want to come and spend your life. I pray to know what I do this morning, this hour, this moment. Come. It's yours, Jesus. 294. Let's stand and sing. Have I no way, Lord? 294. Thank you.